Welcome to the RSCC podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name's Adam and I'm on staff here at RSCC. Here at RSCC, we believe that you matter and that God loves you so much. If you want to know more about RSCC or to keep up with what's going on, follow us on social media at RSCC Family or visit our website at rsccfamily.org. We would love to connect with you. I hope you enjoy the message today. Well, good morning, church. It is good to see you. My name is Jim Bush. I woke up this morning and my voice was gone. So you will have to listen carefully and I will do my best to speak um, distinctly and I probably ought to move that away just a little bit. Can you hear me okay? Okay, I apologize for the gravelly voice. That's just sort of the way it is. Uh, This is not my first time to Rising Sun, Indiana. The first time I was here was in the spring of 1974. Just after the violent night of tornadoes, shortly after. In fact, it was on that night we were headed here for a concert, Cincinnati Bible College, Come Alive Singers, underneath the the, uh, chaperonage of Charlie Stiles, whom some of you may remember. And uh, we did not make it that night. We had to turn around and go back, and we came later than that spring. That was my first introduction to Rising Sun as a physical place. This building was not here then. I've been here since. I know that I came one time when Andy Sim was the preacher, and my son-in-law was your youth minister at that time. His name was Mark Graham. And so we have some connections that maybe you didn't know that we had. And so I'm just grateful to be in this place. When I was asked to come and speak, I was told I was given a free um, range of what I would share. And so I just sort of wanted to share with you some things that have been on my mind, especially in relationship to my new position with the Russell School of Ministry and what that means to not only this church, but to all churches that I have the opportunity um, to speak to. So I want to share with you a passage of scripture, and then I want to unpack some things from that passage um, that I think would be helpful to us as we seek to be obedient to God's word in the days that are ahead, in these trying times where our ground is shifting exponentially underneath of us all the time. In John chapter 4, beginning in verse 35, Jesus says this, Do you not say, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Well, behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, We are in the season of harvest. Physically, from an agricultural perspective, the crops are being taken off the fields even now. But there is something far greater that we need to be concerned about, and that is the harvest of souls as we approach the great day of the Lord. So, Father, help us in this place and in this hour to be faithful to your call upon our lives. And may we see the world around us through your eyes. And would you move us by your spirit to be obedient to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, it has been an interesting year. Um, every way you look at it, it has been an interesting, interesting year. Weather-wise, it has been crazy, don't you think? I mean, when it began this spring, I, I wondered back home just a few miles, 81 or 83 miles away from here, if it was ever going to stop raining. It just rained and rained and rained. Farmers couldn't get the crops in the ground. And those who did ended up having to replant most of what they put in the ground. They struggled to find that window to get the crops in. And so they had late planting. And not only that, with the exorbitant costs that are around us, the costs of putting the crops in the ground were exponential. The fertilizers and sprays that they use are almost um, financially crippling. And then, shortly after the crops did make it in the ground, it turned off blistering hot and dry. And then the crops were placed in stress for a different reason and a different direction. And then, we had some small twisters and storms, intense heat and drought. At our place, there were falling trees everywhere because of the blight of the ash borer beetle and the winds were taking the ash trees down around our house um, like, like falling bombs, and it was frightening. We lost a 200-year-old maple tree in our front yard that it could have killed somebody, just decided it was tired of standing and just fell over. Perfectly sunny day, not a breeze, not a whisper of a wind, and it just said, I'm done, and over it went. But surprisingly, with all of the stress that's been on us from a agriculture and weather perspective, I was amazed at the crops as they began to mature, as you drove around the countryside and you see these fields and now they're going off and, and I'm asking the farmers, how is the yield? And they say, it's amazingly good, amazingly good. It's very interesting when you think about the things that we fret over that we really have no control over, but God is the one who said that as long as time exists, there will be springtime and harvest, summer and winter, sun and rain. And depending on what's planted, harvest comes at different times. I grew up in a farming community. I married a farmer's daughter, and I helped my father-in-law farm for a number of years. And so you are all familiar with the typical things that we farm around here. Come June, late May, early June, it's time to get your first round of hay off the fields. July, right around the 4th of July, a little before, a little after, the wheat comes off. Late September through November, the corn and the beans come off the fields. Every plant has its season, cotton, sorghum, fruit trees, beans, garden vegetables. They all have their own rhythm and their own time. And then come late summer, early September, at our place, the bombs start falling out of the trees as the walnuts pound the house over and over and over and over. Everything has its season. So when Jesus is speaking, telling the disciples to look at the fields for their white unto harvest, I believe that Jesus actually was looking at agricultural fields around him that were white unto harvest. But what Jesus pointed to 
And what we see in the plant kingdom is also true in the kingdom of heaven. And that is exactly what Jesus was truly pointing to. That there is a time to plant and there is a time to harvest when it comes to the seed of souls. That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes said, isn't it? When he said, look, for everything there is a season and there's a time for every activity under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and there's a time to harvest. And throughout the cycle of the kingdom of planting and reaping, the activity has never stopped. And the first gospel seed of hope was given by God himself following the fall of mankind in the garden when he rebuked and destined the enemy of our souls to his ultimate demise when he said this, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. The messianic seed of the kingdom has been planted from that time forward through the days of the patriarchs, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through Moses, the great deliverer, through the prophets, all the way through the generations, we can trace and clearly see the prophetic scarlet thread that we know of the messianic line. And God had chosen in those early days the nation of Israel to be his seed-bearing, hope-offering agency in the world. They were to plant the seed and to bear light and testimony to all people for the kingdom that was yet to come. But we know that in some measure they were unfaithful to that call. They were disciplined and still in the process of the discipline. And then that same commission was given to the church, the bride of Christ, to be this hope-bearing agency of light to the world. And I wonder if we are not faltering in our commission, even as the nation of Israel, at least in some measure, but throughout history, there have always been seasons of harvest, small ones, preliminary ones, through the preaching of Noah, eight souls, through the days of Moses and the deliverance of the nation of Israel from captivity in Egypt, through the kingdom of David and the promise of that was to come underneath of his reign, through the restoration of the kingdom of Israel following captivity and the preaching of John the Baptist, everything pointing to this great harvest that was yet to come. Everything pointing to Christ and the harvest of souls when Jesus brings his kingdom into full reality. And through the ages, this nation has been the recipient of a grand harvest of souls. Jesus began preaching and sharing that promise through Nicodemus, through his teaching with the Samaritan woman and her village. And what Jesus challenged his disciples to do in that moment in Samaria was to open their eyes to the harvest of souls around them, specifically the Samaritans. Look at the fields. They're white unto harvest. The Samaritans are ready for harvest. 
This overlooked, ignored, marginalized, disdained, rejected field in the eyes of the disciples in all of Israel, Jesus saw as a field ripe and ready for harvest. A people that was broken, maligned, and despised. Yes, a disobedient people, a rebellious people who now were ready to bow the knee and their heart to the King of Kings. And so I began to wonder, what harvest fields have we neglected? What harvest fields are ripe for harvest that are being neglected by the church? There is a farmer in our area. He is no longer farming. Go figure, once I tell you the story. It never failed. Every single year, he was the last farmer in our area to get his crops out. There was always a reason, always an excuse, always something broken down, always the last to plant his field. And then when harvest came, he was always the last to begin and the last to finish. In fact, most of his fields, it seemed, maybe not most, but every year he had significant acreage that never got harvested. It's neglected, left, and so the crop, the corn, the beans, it didn't matter, would endure the wither, the winter, the weather, the snow, the rains, the ice, and either left totally ignored in the spring, or if they were harvested, they were molded, they were blighted, they were pitiful. A lot of money was expended in planting. A lot of time was given, even though it was given late, to put the field in. And then when the harvest came, there was no sense of urgency, no sense of burden for this small, brief window of harvest. And the result was a highly diminished or totally lost crop. Efforts, energy, resources wasted. And so I want to ask again, what are the harvest fields right around us here that are neglected and overlooked and untapped? Ethnic groups, nations, sinners, societies, outcasts, but the reality is people still need the Lord. Every single person, every one of us needs the Lord. We have gathering places of all kinds of lost people around us just a few miles from our door here. With the encroaching casino culture, that is no longer confined to Vegas, but is everywhere you look. And people lost in their materialism and their greed and lost and apart from Jesus Christ. Right in our back door. I don't know what that means for you as a congregation, but I do believe that, that God has something very unique and special just for you that you are uniquely equipped to do that no other congregation can do. And that's the same for every congregation. And our responsibility as believers is to identify exactly what it is that God has called us to.
we have a responsibility and we have a burden. In the book of Ezekiel, God speaks through Ezekiel. Once again, a message came to me from the Lord in Ezekiel 33. He said to Ezekiel, son of man, give your people this message. When I bring an army against a country, the people of that land choose one of their own to be a watchman. When the watchman sees the enemy coming, he sounds the alarm to warn the people. Then if those who hear the alarm refuse to take action, it is their own fault if they die. They heard the alarm but ignored it. So the responsibility is theirs. If they had listened to the warning, they would have saved their lives. But if the watchman sees the enemy coming and doesn't sound the alarm to warn the people, he is responsible for their captivity. They will die in their sins, but I will hold the watchman responsible for their deaths. Now, son of man, I am making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say. Warn them for me. If I announce that some wicked people are sure to die and you fail to tell them to change their ways, then they will die in their sins and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. But if you warn them to repent and they don't repent, they will die in their sins, but you will have saved yourself. Son of man, give the people of Israel this message. You are saying our sins are heavy upon us and we're wasting away. How can we survive? As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Turn. Turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? I have a responsibility to you. And you have a responsibility to this community and to this generation. What is the depth of the burden that you and I have for the lost people around us? I confess I am not burdened nearly enough and too often find myself complacent in the midst of our brokenness. I wish that I had the passion of Charles Spurgeon who made this statement that haunts me every time I read it. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and not let one go unwarned and unprayed for. We are living in what people are calling a post-Christian age and most of us in the church have not quite got our minds and our hearts around that reality. Our schools, our training institutions are failing when this nation was birthed, it also birthed a number of institutions. We call them, most of them, Ivy League schools. They were all theological institutions when they were born. And they're all apostate now from that original mission. Bethany College, started by Alexander Campbell out of our movement, 
pretty apostate when it comes to kingdom priorities. We're all painfully aware of the demise of Cincinnati Bible College, Cincinnati Christian University, my alma mater. I was a second generation student. My daughter was third. I loved that school. And it is no more for reasons that could have been avoided. Yes, there was financial issues, but even beyond that was a tragic and devastating doctrinal drift. That she was born to stand against and succumb to exactly what she was formed to battle. What you may not know is St. Louis Christian College has closed its doors, at least as a residential school. Lincoln Christian College has closed its undergraduate doors, is now focusing only on graduate studies. Nebraska has closed. Central Florida closed. And the colleges that remain are putting out very few ministry students. And right now you're in the throes of trying to restaff and, and you understand the challenge that it is and where those new wave of ministers are coming from. So the schools have failed. But also our churches are not sending. Now we're all supposed to be ministers of the gospel. You don't have to be in vocational ministry to be considered a minister of the gospel. We all have a, a burden and a calling. Every single one of us. We are all to share our faith in whatever arena and platform that God has given us. But there are some called to the specific task of preaching the gospel and shepherding congregations around this land and around the world. That's what Paul says in Romans 10. He says, how can people call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him unless they've, they've never heard about him? How can they hear unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. So I want to ask a question. I don't know the answer to this, but you may. Who was the last person this congregation sent into ministry, commissioned, ordained, prayed over, and launched into ministry? Now I know a couple of your Timothys. My first Bible college mentor and guide, spiritually and musically, was a Timothy out of this congregation. Some of you don't know him because he's been that long gone, but some of you will remember the name Byron Cartwright. I'm so grateful for his influence in my life. And I am grateful for what this congregation did to launch him. Another young man that I have recently come to know, I know as a Timothy of this congregation, a gentleman by the name of Shane White. Maybe you remember him. And so you have sent people into ministry. There may be more. You may have them right now in your pipeline. I rejoice with you in that. But I've had this conversation with a number of people, and most of our churches say, I talked to one guy, an elder of a church who's nearly 200 years old, not the man, but the church, and I says, when was the last, who was the last Timothy, this congregation, ever placed in ministry? And he said, 
I don't think we've ever sent anybody into ministry. But I would like to suggest that just as I was grieving over this loss of our school in Cincinnati and over other schools, I thought, you know what? The book of Revelation says that if a church loses its influence, if they abandon their vision, if they abandon their mission and their calling, that I will remove their lampstand. And so we have churches that have folded and closed their doors. And we have colleges that have folded and closed their doors. And my thought was, well, the lampstand's removed. And then I thought, no, there are scores and scores and scores of faithful men and women who have gone through the halls of that institution that have remained faithful to the call. And now there is a new school in Florence, Kentucky, which is the remnants. God always preserves a remnant called the Russell School of Ministry. And I want to just mention this briefly. This is not a plug. I just want you to know what's going on just across the river from you. The Russell School of Ministry is like a trade school for preachers. And we are uniquely focused on trying to help people embrace mission and ministry even as a second calling in their life. Not high school grads, but people who are graduates of the school of hard knocks in life and realize that God is calling them to something more and deeper and better and more profound. Seasoned by life and now serious about God's calling upon their life. And meth is just very simply, it is a one night a week, one class at a time for two years to receive a fully accredited associate degree in ministry. Focusing on the areas of knowledge, You cannot teach what you do not know. There is no shortcut for knowing this book. But knowledge by itself is very dangerous. And that is the problem with a lot of our institutions. To build knowledge upon knowledge upon knowledge and yet do not pay attention to two other things. One is skills. Leading a congregation. A lot of the people in our colleges have never led a congregation anywhere. And the other is focus on Christian character. You can think as well as I can of a number of people who have all kinds of knowledge and all kinds of skills, but somewhere along the line, they lost sight of what was going on with their character, and they compromised their ministry, their position, and they devastated their church because of character failure. And so we want our students to learn those three areas, but we also want them to partner in an active, live, hands-on, apprenticing type of relationship with the church where they come from. That is our desire. And we want them to enter into ministry without this enormous debt over their head that they cannot handle. Here's the interesting thing about harvest time. Nearly without exception, when a plant is ready for harvest, The once beautiful, proud plant will bow its head as it prepares to be harvested. Picture, if you would, in your mind, an apple tree. Its boughs laden with fruit, reaching to the ground so they can be plucked. The beautiful green wheat in early spring turns golden brown and the heads of grain bow to the earth. The once tall, stately, majestic stalk of corn turns brown and the ear drops 
its head. And so it is in this area of souls until the church and until the individuals within the church are willing to humble themselves before Almighty God and bow to his will to be ready to be used at his bidding, at his command. We will not be harvested. The proud and the arrogant self-will of man has got to surrender to the will of God and to the King of Kings. And only in surrender to him will he harvest and will he gather us into his kingdom. So it is with the story of the workers in the harvest field. You can be a Jonah who knows that God is calling and you can run the other way. Or you can be like Isaiah who in response to God's call said, whom shall I send as a messenger, God says to his people, who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. You know, there's a rich and sweet beauty and freedom and surrender to God. And it's a surrender to be reshaped into his image and his purpose. There's so much going on around us in our world right now. COVID has changed everything for us. Most of us were shut down at least for a season. And I don't know if I've, I've been very hard for this AV people to track with this morning, so I don't know what you've seen behind you, if anything. But if those images are available, I want you to see something, because I think this is what COVID is teaching us. Do we have any of those images or no? Yes. Anybody know what that is? It's a grapevine. Much like what was in my mother-in-law's backyard, that's just the way it looked. Overgrown, bushy, not tended very well. You could get enough grapes on it to, to make jelly or grape juice for the winter. But the grapes were sort of hard to find and very inconvenient, and it's just an untended grapevine. This is what COVID did to the church. The next picture. We were pruned back hard. Our colleges have been pruned back hard. We know the scripture says we have to be pruned, but we don't like it. Why? Because we think, if you just killed the thing, that's not alive at all. You just took every bit of life off of it. But what if what God has done through this difficult season of COVID and also this difficult season of cultural shift that we don't know how to deal with, what if this is what he is doing with his church, creating this? So listen, as you try and navigate the difficulty of this age, of our time, of our circumstance, rather than wringing your hands and grieving, just know that when it's darkest outside, the light shines the brightest. And just know that God has called you and me, each of us, for this place, for such a time as this. You're not here by accident. You're here by design, by God's sovereign choice. And you and I need to learn to make the most of it. So I'm just going to ask you, what is God calling you to? Who in your neighborhood or in your community needs to know Jesus that only you have access to? Is there somebody in this congregation that is ready to be placed into ministry and you can celebrate and launch into effective ministry? Yet another Timothy or Timothy S out of this congregation. Your time is not done. There are great days yet ahead until Jesus Christ returns and I pray that you will be found faithful 
that the testimony of this congregation will continue to shine into this community more brightly than it ever has. Don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. Just be found faithful. If you need to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ, there's always opportunity. In just a moment, we're going to sing. And I would just ask that you allow God's Spirit to work on your heart for you to know what is the next step that you need to take to be obedient to him. Whether it's official training, formal training, or whether it's just to share the gospel with your neighbor who desperately needs you. There are harvest fields everywhere you look. Father God in heaven, we bow to you just now and we thank you for all that you have done in this place, through this congregation, through the years. And we rejoice in that. But Father, may we not be content to live in the past, but would you help us to realize that there are souls yet in front of us, there is a future yet in front of us, and we must step faithfully into that future, not compromising truth, but clinging tightly to truth proclaiming it clearly, being unashamed of the power of the gospel, that we might be watchmen on the wall in a world that has turned its back and deafened its ears to hear your word. Some will not listen. But Father, I pray that it will not be because we have not been courageous to speak. So help us not to be ashamed. Help us not to be afraid. Help us to be faithful. And we will trust in you to do what only you can do. And so we give you our lives and we surrender before you now. And I pray, Lord, that we would humbly bow and allow you to bring whatever harvest from our labors that you are willing to do. And we give you praise in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining in with us today. We hope that you were blessed by this message and that you were drawn deeper in faith with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us at info at Thanks for the listen and have a great day.